Welcome to the sermons and teachings from the Catalyst Fellowship with Ipai Michael. We hope the message you're about to listen to will edify you and cause you to experience exponential growth. And now, the message. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Alright, so let's get straight into it. It's, it's always a good idea for us as, as a people to... Trace our roots. How many of you have ever done that before? Trace the origin of where you are from. Sort of, you know, who is, is Ernest or is Buari my long distant cousin? Are we related to, why are all of you laughing? Don't be related to Buari, okay. <laughs> or, am I connected to, to some king somewhere that I don't know about? If you're an evil person, if your name has Eze behind, you're probably tracing, do I have a 15th cousin that was a king or, is there a rulership position in my hometown that if everybody dies, it will fall on me? How many have you ever traced your, your, you know, your origin before? You've ever thought about it or asked your parents, where are we from? It's something a lot of us don't do, especially from where we are from, but I think it's something that is very, very important. I heard someone say today that he's 15 cousins with the king right now of UK. And I'm like, oh, so you trace that? <laughs> You know, but um, it's very, very important for us many times to be able to trace our roots and look back to where we are coming from. And as a, as a family, as a culture, as a society, one thing we must learn to do is to hold on to our history, where we come from. Many times it defines us and it doesn't always limit us. Sometimes it defines us. Hallelujah. It helps us make sense of where we are. And what we're doing right now, it helps us appreciate more the efforts of those that have gone before us. And in that light, I want us to consider the history of the church and more specifically the church in Nigeria. Now, when I say the church, I'm talking about the visible church. You're going to learn a lot in this series. You're going to learn about the unity in the word. You're going to learn about how to function as a church. We're going to learn about the visible church and how the church is yet invincible as well. But today is just a light note. Just make sure you're present for all the teachings to learn. But we're going to look at the history of the churches. I'm going to give you a lot of historic information, but it's important that I give you all of that information because it would help you. A lot of you don't know. So don't get bored. Just pay attention and learn. All right? So Christianity came to Nigeria according to history. The information I'm about to give is purely historic information because, um, I mean, scripturally, we can understand that the Ethiopian eunuch brought Christianity to Africa compared to all the historic information we have. I choose to believe that. But the information I'm giving about Nigeria is purely Nigerian historic information. And so Christianity came to Nigeria first in the 15th century. When I say 15th century, I mean between 1400 and 1500. All right? And the Portuguese were reportedly the ones who brought Christianity to Nigeria. They were called missionaries in the sense of the word because they brought Christianity, but they weren't true missionaries because they were more interested in mirrors, guns, and other interesting things that they could find. Listen, let me say this before I go on. This info information I'm giving you right now might not make sense to you now, but it will change your life when someone comes to attack your faith and say Christianity is a white man's religion. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? Or when people try to tell you that is if not for slave trade, Christianity, you have to know your history. Are you listening to me? So make sure you're paying attention to what I'm saying. All right. And so they were interested in many other things. They could get mirrors. God, the, the, the black guys were interested in mirrors, guns, and all of those things that they could receive from the um, Portuguese who came. The Portuguese were more interested in slave trade. So really, it was more of a trade thing, but they had Christianity, you know, with them. And so most of the missionaries that came to Nigeria in the 15th century ventured into slave trade. And then they took a lot of, you know, Nigerian slaves and then they traveled with them to different parts of America, to France, to Spain, to Portugal, um, to other European nations to resell them to other masters. Now, in the 17th century, that's two centuries after, um, one know, who knows what marks a century? Century is how many years? 100 years, right? So, in the 17th century, Christianity was introduced again, but this time it came with Western education, right? And so there, there's, I don't know how true or how correct, but it was said that an Ishakiri prince was actually baptized in the 16th century. That was after slave trade came. But true missionary work, when I say true missionary work, I mean with pure motive, didn't start until the 19th century when the British abolished slave trade. And so now after slave trade was abolished, it was easy for people to come with the gospel with true intentions without just trade at the mind and buying and selling. Are you following what I'm saying? And so towards the end of the 19th century, some of the slaves who had been sold started to retrace their, their steps back. Those of you who went to good secondary schools, when I say good secondary schools, I, I mean good secondary schools. You learned some of these things. Some of you did not teach you. Some of you learned because you went for excursion in Badagri. But some of the slave traders, some of these um, guys and slaves who were taken out began to retrace their steps back to Nigeria. So a lot of them found ships. They sailed to Sierra Leone. From Sierra Leone, they sailed back to Nigeria. And a lot of them, you know, ported in places like Badagri, Abelkuta, and other places. Many of them had the opportunity to receive Western education so they could speak English by the time they were coming. There's also a popular institution that some of you might know about. It's called um, CMS, the Church Missionary Society, that, in, that brought education to those, slave, um, those slaves. rather. And so a lot of them had this knowledge. They, they had learned English and they practiced Christianity by the time they were returning. And so many of them, coupled with a lot of people who had received Christianity through you know, the slave mission at the time, began to spread Christianity in Nigeria. And one of the notable, one of the people that is worthy of note that we, we would mention when it comes to people who came back to the country is someone called Ajayi Crowder. Have you ever heard of the name before? He was the one who translated the English Bible to Yoruba Bible. I have a mission to go and revise that Bible because I, there are a lot of things <laughs> that are, that were subjective in translation, but maybe I'll do another master's in linguistics. <laughs> just to go and help out with that. But anyways, let's move on. And so Samuel Ajaikrata was one of those people, what he, what he have mentioned, he was captured at the age 12 by Fulani slave raiders and he was sold to Portuguese slave traders. He regained his freedom and he came back to Nigeria and he became the first African to be ordained bishop by the Christian Missionary Society. And so he had a lot of contributions to the work 
in Nigeria at the time. So most of the missionaries that came at the time returned to their countries, but what the faith they brought with them stayed. Most of the slave traders also, many of them died because of several sicknesses here. Many of them returned to their countries, but Christianity was already in Nigeria at the time. And then the people continued to spread the gospel amongst each other. Now, over the years, it's been many years since that time, Christianity has grown rapidly. It has grown rapidly. In 1953, the percentage of Christianity was 21.4%. But over the past years, that percentage has doubled. And currently, the whole of the southern part of Nigeria is, is dominated by Christians. And we know that the northern part is dominated by Muslims. And, you know, more recently, I think it was an estimation in maybe 2015 or more recently, that puts the population of Christian, Christians in Nigeria to be... 40 to 49 percent so out of a hundred the percentage of christians in nigeria is about, is about 40 to 49 percent and of that population we have 74 percent of them who are protestants some of you might not know what protestants actually mean and you've been hearing it for so long we'll discuss that in this series 25 percent of them are roman catholic and then the other, the remaining percentage, you know, we have that split amongst other Christian denominations. All right. And so the church has influenced Nigeria in such a great way. You know, there are a lot of traditional things that have been revoked because, for example, when Christianity came and became popular, we see, you know, the abolition of certain practices like polygamy, like blood oath and all of those, you know, a reduced amount of, you know, Sometimes when I see them do masquerade festivals, I'm like, it's a one in, once in a while thing you see it now. And that's because the introduction of Christianity gained widespread that a lot of people got converted. Are you with me? And then the introduction of Western education that came with Christianity as well helped people see newer ideologies than just serving the idols they had. Are you following me? And people will tell you Christianity is a white man's religion and stuff like that. This is the origin. We know where it came from. Are you listening to me? And so Christianity has gained ground since then and is still gaining ground. A lot of people are taking Christian names now. We know how it is in the country. <laughs> Social studies, right? Exactly. But listen to this. Around 1910, now we've left the 15th century. It's been almost 500 years or 400. And around 1910, more closer to when some of us were born, before we mention anybody, nobody in this call, we shall 1980, you know, not 1980, maybe like 1990, probably 1980 something anyways. But around 19, 1910, a local charismatic movement sprung forth in Nigeria. So someone was a, one of the people who was a part of an Anglican community. So they were Roman Catholics, they were Anglican churches, they were more Orthodox churches in quotes, you know, because that's what they call themselves, you know. It split out and it formed a community known as the Christ Army Church. I want you to pay attention here. It formed a community known as what? The Christ Army Church. And the Christ Army Church started and a revival broke out in Nigeria. And it was at the verge, at the point where there was, um, a, was it, I think, is it called a pandemic or an epidemic? It was of influenza. How many of you know of that sickness? Influenza. Now, a lot of people were getting sick at the time. And so a revival broke out where people started to get healed. Are you with me? And so the, this, this society that broke out of the Anglican church 
coupled with other other new people, started a a a, a, pro, a Pentecostal or a Protestant revival at this time. And this was the start of Pentecostalism in Nigeria, where people began to see many healings. And this small charismatic unit started to grow. And they grew into something that those of you that are Yoruba would know as the Aladura churches. Uh, the meaning of Aladura is praying churches. You might know some of those churches, C and S, you know, they are very fervent in their praying style, you know, um, Cherubim and Seraphim, Celestial Church of God, and all of those churches who were fervent at that time. Now, they were marked for their fervent praying styles and the fact that they saw many miracles happen. Are you following me? They saw many miracles happen. And part of the popular preachers in this time, someone many of you might know, but some of you don't know, but it's worthy of note, is someone called Pa Joseph Ayobabalola. Have you ever heard of that name before? If you are in Nigeria and you see many churches, there's one man that his face is always there. He used to have white collar. All this church banner. He used to have white collar. You see his face plus the pastor of the church. <laughs> exactly. So, he led a revival at the time also. He was one of the prominent preachers. Listen, when you read about people like Pa Joseph Ayobabalola, you, you calm down with all your jim jim jim. <laughs> Listen, we are in, in Nigeria. The church in Nigeria is built upon the labels of people that have gone before. I know why I'm starting with this, why I'm introducing the series with this. Because when they were, when, <laughs> I don't know if this is what, the Lord is pushing me to talk about this, but I have a lot of other things to do, to talk about. When they were there, Nigeria was filled with a lot of idol worship. And so they had to fight a fight <laughs> to get you to where you can open your mouth now and say Jesus is Lord everywhere and evangelize. Before, if you, they will slap you charm on your face. <laughs> are you listening to me? We are built on the label of people like this. It's easy for people to wake up today and say, oh, I don't believe in charismatic. Do it that it took power for them. <laughs> are you with me? There was an epidemic, an influenza outbreak, and they were healing people. So one of the people who led the revival at the time was him. One of the stories about Joseph Ayababala was that he was always with a bell. There are stories about him that when he enters his prayer room, he loses consciousness of time. He will be there. <laughs> he will be there. He will just go. That's it. One day, he has not eaten. You know, but that's not the focus. I'm just giving you a brief history of the church in Nigeria. Now, the reason why I'm giving you this history is this. is because theology is very important, but it must get us to a place of application. And so I'm helping you see where you are in what I'm going to be teaching you. And so you can see how to wisely apply the things you're learning to your everyday life. Are you listening to me? Now, let me go on with what I was teaching. Now, one of the people in that time was Pastor Joseph Ayababalala. He you know, was of a church called Faith Tabernacle. He led a revival in 1930 that converted thousands of locals. He was very... I heard then, you know, I watched a documentary about him once. People will come from far and near. Even till now, people still go to the house that he used to live to pray. Anyways, I'm not saying that is right, but I'm just telling you how much people saw the impact of his work. Now, Pentecostal, Pentecostal movement started at the time... And then his church was associated to a British church at the time, but then they broke away. 
part of the things we are going to discuss is denomination because you are seeing a lot of breaking away. Is this right? Is this God's plan? We're going to discuss it in other teachings. It's just a foundation we're doing today. Some other local Pentecostal churches sprung up. I mentioned Celestial Church. I mentioned Kerim and Seraphim. But there was somebody also who you might not have heard of and some of you might have heard of who broke out of one of these Aladira churches. His name is Pajosiah Akidayomi. And he was the founder of the Redeemed Christian Church of God, RCCG. And then after he passed, he was succeeded by Pa Enokadeboye. And that's someone you, popular, you popularly know, we call him Daddy Gio, right? And that's how we see a lot of churches come. Later, so we've, we've moved in timeline now. We're in 1972, I think. Oh, no, we're in 1952. One of the leaders behind the revivals at the time, the Pentecostal movement that started at the time, was Archbishop Benzini Daosa. Some of you might have heard of Bishop Archbishop Benzini Daosa. He was Africa's <laughs> one of Africa's most influential Pentecostal preachers at the time in the twentieth. And in that time, he was the founder of the church you probably known as probably known as Church of God Mission, which was established in 1972. These are names that will be common with those of you that are in Nigeria. I use the history of the church in Nigeria because a lot of you can relate to it. All right. Other churches have been established since that time. We have Deeper Life by Pastor Kumui. We have Living Faith Church by Bishop Oedeko and many other churches that sprung forth. Listen, there are stories of Archbishop, of Bishop Oedeko going for meetings of Archbishop. Are you with me? And so we see, you know, that spread of Pentecostal movement and the progression of Christianity even up until now. One of the things you would learn from this is that Christianity sprung up at the verge of the destruction of humanity because what made Pentecostalism spread at that time was that there was a pandemic. Are you following me? There was a pandemic. And there were many sicknesses and people were seeing healing and people were getting converted. And so this is very good information for you to keep in mind as we, as we explore this teaching, as we explore the church. But as you learn this, you might begin to you know, consider how this applies to where we are now. As the church of Christ. And the things we hold on to. As the church of Christ. And so my goal. And why I've given you this information. Is also that. You begin to think about where we are. As a church. And so as we explore in this series. The different things. I will be making reference to this introduction a lot. I'll be talking about. The important things, what people got right, what people got wrong, what the church is supposed to be like, the lessons we must learn from our fathers. Are you with me? And other lessons as well, and other things that they didn't get right that we must correct as well. Hallelujah. And so as I begin to present my case about the church, we would answer the questions of what makes the church so special. Why has the church grown so much? What is God's plan for the church? Why is it important in our societies? We see the church in Nigeria. We see the abolition of many practices because Christianity came. There were different things that were happening, like the killing of twins. How many of you remember that? There were many other things that were happening. And Christianity has changed a lot in our society today. What is the importance of the church with regards to community, to our growth as a people? Why has God established the church? Should the church interfere with matters of state? Or should the church be silent? We are going to talk about all of that. Hallelujah. There are a few benchmarks of spiritual growth, and I've mentioned them to you before. 
There's some things that when we see in you, we will be able to tell that you're growing. And when we talk about spiritual growth, now pay attention, I, that was just an introduction to the series and now I've properly entered into the teaching. There are few benchmarks of spiritual growth. Some things that when we see, we can tell for sure that you're growing. When we think about spiritual growth, a lot of people are thinking about healing people, knowing God's word, walking in the charismatic. But yes, those are important, but you are missing something very important. From the way that you pray, we can tell if you're growing or not. From how frequently you pray, we can tell if you're growing or not. From the way you evangelize, do you even evangelize? We can tell if you're growing or not. From the way you flow in the gift of the Spirit, truly, yes, we can tell. But listen, there is something that if you miss, you cannot call yourself a mature believer. And it's the understanding of what I'm about to teach you. Are you following me? If you miss this, you cannot call yourself a mature believer. My pastor will popularly say, children of devil understand this thing. Children of, this, of Satan, they understand what this particular thing I'm trying to tell you about today. They take advantage of it, but a lot of us miss it. We pay attention to everything. You want to flow in power? That's good. You pray a lot? That's good. You study a lot? That's good. But if you miss this, you cannot call yourself a mature believer. Because this is also a benchmark of spiritual growth. Understanding this. Open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 10. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 10. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 10, it says, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord in Horeb, when the Lord said to me, gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on earth, and that they may teach their children. So, this is talking about the children of Israel, and I'll, I'll give you a reference to where Deuteronomy is pointing to. But it says, gather to me all the people, let them hear my voice. This is God talking. The Hebrew word for gather there is Kohal, it is Q-A-H-A-L. Kohal. And it means to assemble. It means to call an assembly. It says, gather to me. When, when uh, Moses was talking to Pharaoh, one of the things that he said is like, God is calling my people to come and worship him in the wilderness. Listen to me, it's a gathering. It means to assemble. Deuteronomy was referencing Exodus. Go to Exodus chapter 19 and verse 3. Exodus chapter 19 and verse 3. The Bible says, And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him in the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you out myself, and brought you unto myself, rather. It says, Now therefore, if you would obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all the people, above all people. For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you should speak to them. So God was telling Moses to call his people. 
Gather my people to me. Gather my people to me. In 19, you see where, 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 where he went to do it. In, in 19, the Bible says, And the Lord said to Moses, this was where he called him, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the Lord, of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people, sanctify them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people unto Mount Sinai, and shall set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that you go not up into the mountain, or touch the border of it. Whosoever touches the mount shall surely be put to death. There shall not be a hand that shall touch it, but he shall surely be stoned, or shot through, whether it be beast or man, it shall not leave. When the trumpet sounded long, they shall come up to the mountain. In verse 20, the Bible says, And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God is come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your face. That ye sin not. So this was a gathering of God's people. God instructed Moses to tell the people to gather to him. To gather. Even though they could not come boldly to touching him and coming close because they were sinful, he still asked that they gather before him. And the word is called how? It's to assemble. Make an assembly of my people to me. Let them see me. Let them what? Let them see me. Let them see me. And that word that is translated to assemble there in the Hebrew is the Greek rendition of ecclesiazo. So, kohal, which means to gather, when translated to the Greek, is the word ecclesiazo, which means to summon an assembly. To summon an assembly. And it's from that word that we get the noun from Ecclesia, which we all know, which means the church. It means to gather, to assemble the people. Those of you who were in devotion code, I taught you how the, the, the earliest thing that God created man to do, the, the single most important thing that man was doing at Eden was worshipping God. He found pleasure doing it. At the original state of man, man was created for the worship of God. And so now, God tells Moses to tell Pharaoh to let his people go so that they might worship him. It's a gathering of God's people. It means to summon an assembly. That's where we get the word ecclesia from. To summon an assembly. To summon an assembly, to be called out. The word ecclesia is from two Greek words, which you probably heard me say over and over. The first word is ek ex, and the second word is kaleo. Now, pay attention to this. Ek ex, it denotes origin. It's two words. I don't want you to get this, to get carried away now. Ecclesia is from two words, ek ex. Kaleo, the root words, ek ex, kaleo, two words. The first word, ek ex, actually denotes origin. That is something is from somewhere. It denotes origin. It means out of. It means from. There are other words you see the word ek ex used in. I've given you examples before. You see it's used in words like ekoromai, right? When the Bible says that the spirit that proceeded from the father, the word is ek poromai. Ek there is ek ex, then poromai means so. 
Ekex means it's from a source. Poromai means it's proceeding. That word was used to denote that the spirit proceeded from the father. So ekex is important in your understanding of this. You can see it in words like ekbalo, which means to eject. It's usually used to denote that something is coming out of a source. So ekex, which is out from, and then the second word is kalio, which means to call. And so put together, you get the word called out. Ecclesia, it means to call out. It means to call out. And it denotes the true meaning of the church. The church is a gathering of people who are called out to God. Like it was done in the Old Testament, they were called out to God. Just the same now, Ecclesia means to be called out. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13, Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. The Bible says in Matthew 16, 13, it says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Who do men say I am? It matters to Jesus. Who people say he is? He says, who do men say that I am? And some said John the Baptist. Some said Elijah. Others Jeremiah. And others one of the prophets. They're different ideas. The same way it was then is the same way it is today. People have different ideas of who God, of who God is. Of who Christ is. Some thought it was John the Baptist. And that doesn't make sense because John was alive in the time. So how do you think it's John the Baptist? It even makes sense for them to think it's Elijah because there was a prophecy about an Elijah which was to come. But they had different ideas. He says, who do men say that I am? It matters to Christ who you... Listen, it matters to Christ who you think he is. It's very important. He said to them in verse 15, he says, but who do you say? That I am. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Listen, that statement, you are the Christ. Some of you have just read it, but you don't understand what it means. A man came, he did many miracles. People think it was different things. But Peter said, you are the Christ. The word Christ there is the Greek word Christos. The Hebrew word Christos is Messiah, Messiah. So he declared Christ to be the Savior. Are you listening to me? He declared Christ as their Savior. This is almost the same as proclaiming that you believe the gospel. <laughs> Are you listening to me? This is almost the same as proclaiming that you believe the gospel. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He was making a reference to a prophecy in the Old Testament where Christ, where God talks about a son who will live forever. If you've not listened to the sermon on understanding the gospel, go listen to it. This good news, I thought about this day. So this will make sense to those of you that have listened to it. For the others, I'm sure it probably makes sense because I'm trying to break it down. He says, you are the Christ. The Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter recognized him as the Savior of the world, the King 
on the throne forever? Do you believe in salvation through Jesus? That's almost the question. How do you think you are saved? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is important to Jesus. Do you believe that he is your Savior? Please, are you paying attention? This is important to Jesus. Do you believe that he's your Savior? Do you believe he's the Christ? Equally as important as Peter's response is Jesus' response. Jesus says to him in verse 18, he says, I also say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Listen, this was the first time that the word Ecclesia was used in the Bible. That is the Greek form of the word was used in the Bible. He says, you are Peter upon this rock. I will build my Ecclesia. I will build my Ecclesia. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, some theologians believe that the rock he's talking about there was Peter. Some others believe that the rock he's talking about there was upon the foundation of the knowledge that Jesus is the Messiah and the Savior of the world. He will build his church. Whichever you believe, the church of Christ is built upon the revelation of knowing who Christ is. Knowing who he is and who we are in him because of what he has done. Are you paying attention? Knowing who he is, knowing who we are in him and what he has done or because of what he has done. So Jesus says, I will build my church. I will create an assembly of people and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. The church is an assembly of God's people. People who have believed upon him. For their salvation. People who identify with him. So now this is not just a matter of what you identify as. But what you believe in also. What you know Christ to be. Are you guys following me? This is very important. He says I will build my church. And the gates of Hades would not prevail. Over it. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. Turn your Bibles with me there very quickly. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. It says, But you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. He says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. I want you to look at that text again. He says, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you received what? The spirit of adoption. By whom we what? We cry, Father, Father. It's for emphasis. So, it is by the Spirit. This is how God identifies his spiritual family. Pay attention to this text. It says, you've received the Spirit of adoption. So, there is something called adoption in God. If there is adoption in God, then there is a family in God. 
I won't go ahead of myself, but you have to understand what I'm saying. It says, you've received the spirit of adoption by which, or by whom rather, we call God Father. So this shows you that by the spirit, God identifies a spiritual family. When we believe the gospel, we were baptized. We were immersed into a family. What is popularly depicted by water was done spiritually. You were baptized into God. You were baptized into God's family. And the spirit in the latter part, it says the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are what? We are children of God. We are heirs. One important thing you must learn about Christ is our union with him. And I'm going to teach more about this in the camp meeting, Christ Life Camp. I'm going to teach about the union we have with Christ. You must learn our union with Christ. Whatever Christ did on earth, he did as our representative. God accounted it to us. Pay attention here. What makes Christ's sacrifice efficacious for us? What makes it counted on us? What makes it recorded on our account is this union because everything christ did when it comes to salvation for us god accounted that we did as well so listen to me that's why you can say that when christ died i died with him there's a union we have with christ in his death we died that's our benediction right in his death we died it's because of the union it's because of the union. There's a union we have with God. In God's view, we did it. Are you listening to me? Of course, we were not conscious at the time. Because we didn't even exist at the time this happened, many of us. But when it happened to Christ, God thought of it as happening to us because we were in Christ. Hey, that word in that I mentioned there is powerful. <laughs> I'm going to teach it better. We were in Christ. So, when you read texts like Romans chapter 5 and verse 18, the Bible says, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. He also says, even through one man's act of righteousness, the free gift came to all men, resulting in what? Justification of life. He says, for as one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. By one man's obedience, righteousness is accounted on all. Did you get that? Righteousness. So, how is it that one man did something and what he did is accounted on all of us? It's because of the union. It's because of what? A union. A union. That we are in Christ. In Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. That when he died, we died with him. <laughs> in God's view, the wage of your sin is paid. When he was buried, we were buried with him. And when he rose, we, <laughs> we rose with him. We rose to him in the newness of life. But not just in the newness of life, that because he rose, we are never scared again. We know we will rise also because our life follows that pattern. That's the union. Are you getting what I'm talking about? That's the union. In 2 Corinthians 5, 20, the Bible says, for he made him 
who knew no sin to be seen for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So in what he did, it was accounted to us as though we did it also. But not just our sins. It was not just our sins that God thought as belonging to Christ. It was, it was that we ourselves were there doing it. When Christ died, God thought of us as having died, literally. Romans 6 verse 3, the Bible says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? This is true baptism. True baptism is the method at which we become partakers of what Jesus did as though we did it as well. It's a union. Are you following me? It's a union. It says, don't you know that as many of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. Are you reading, are you reading that? We're buried with him with baptism, through baptism in his, into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, do you see that? That's the union. If we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. It says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Are you following me? There are some texts that when you read, you have to redefine print and understand what the Bible is saying. In the same way, God thought of us having been dead and buried with Christ and risen with him. Let me not go ahead of myself. Open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. I would rather use a text to explain this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. You open text a lot today, so just hold your Bible close to you. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2. And I hope you're taking good notes. I'm trying to present a case to you on how we are a part of God's family. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. The Bible says, but God, who is rich in mercy. Did you hear that? God is rich in mercy. I've thought about this before. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love wherewith he loved us. It says, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive with. Look at the words that are used very carefully. He made us alive what? With Christ. It says, by grace, you, are you have been saved. So listen. We were made alive with Christ. It says in verse 6, and raised us up together, together, are you seeing that word? Together, and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, in that union, in his death we died, we were united with him in the death and burial, we, were un we are united with him still in his resurrection. But listen, also when he ascended to sit, the Bible says that what? It says, and raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ. So when he ascended and he sat, we sat in him. Are you getting this? So, the 
theology of his death and burial and resurrection makes us believe in salvation and that our sins are paid, the theology of his ascension and making him sit makes us understand our place of rest and the authority we have. Are you getting this? I should come again. The theology of his death and burial and resurrection makes us understand that our, our sins have been paid for, how God views us. It makes us understand that we have life after death and the theology of his ascension and him seated helps us understand the rest we have in God, Alabakai, as well as the authority we have as believers. It says we are seated with him in heavenly places. So Jesus didn't just come to die. He also came as an example for us. We were in him. We were in him. In him. In him. <laughs> See, in Christ is a strong word. That's in Christ. Camp meeting, we'll discuss it. <laughs> we were what? In him. In him. I've taught you this before. That before his death, he was called the only begotten of the Father. After his death, the title changed from just monogenous. Monogenous is only begotten. It means single, only kind. But something happened differently after. Look at the, look at the places he was called only begotten. John 1, 14, the Bible says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten. It was only him that could identify as a child of God at the time. Are you getting what I'm saying? Before his death, only him. In John 1, 18, the Bible says, No man had ever seen God at any time. The only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, has declared him. Are you getting this? John chapter 3 verse 18, the Bible says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he had not believed in the name of what? The only begotten son. Hebrews eleven seventeen, the Bible says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that received the promise offered up his only begotten son. Now, I'm using only begotten now, not for Jesus, but to show you that what that word means. Uniquely begotten. And those of you who have read the book of Hebrews can understand the reference between Isaac and Jesus Christ here. That in Isaac, in Abraham, offering up Isaac, his only begotten son, God would later do the same by offering unto us his only begotten son as well. And the writer of Hebrews helps us understand that Abraham was not expecting that God would stop him from killing Isaac. Abraham already believed that if God asks him to kill him, God is able to raise him from the dead. And so the same thing that Jesus, God will do with Jesus by when he dies, by raising him up also from the dead. Are you following what I'm saying? Let's go ahead. First John chapter 4 verse 9, the Bible says, In this was manifested the love of God towards us, because God sent his only begotten son. But after his death, we see a different word being used. He was called what? Prototokos, which means first begotten. Why? Because the process of his death, the process of his death made it possible for other sons to come. Are you following this? The process of his death 
made it possible because in his death, God was doing something. In his death, God was doing something. Colossians chapter 1 verse 18, the Bible says, and he is the head of the body, the church. Who is the beginning? The firstborn from the dead. That's Prototokos, firstborn. Meaning that you might have thought that he died alone, but he is resurrecting as the first of many that will come after him. Hey, are you getting what I'm teaching? He's resurrecting as the first of many that will come after him. So now he's no more uniquely born. He's no more the only begotten. He's the first begotten. Why? Because he has made it possible for other brothers and sisters to come after him. This is the idea of God's family. This is the idea. There's a family of God. That's what I'm helping you see. There's a family in God. There's a family in God. Are you learning something? There's a family in God. So the Apostle Paul speaking in Ephesians chapter 3, he says, For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is important. So Paul here, talking about his prayer time, he says, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord. He's showing you something. I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord. But now, in the next verse, he helps you understand the picture of the person he's bowing down to. This is the New Testament way to view God. He says, I'm bowing down to the Father of our Lord. But he says, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So listen, this must help you understand that when Paul was bowing down, he was not thinking of someone that was afar of. He was thinking of an actual father, not just of our Lord Jesus Christ, but also his father as well and your father. Do you get what I just said? He says, of whom the whole family. So there is a family. This is what you must learn. There's a family in God. He says, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. There's a family. It's a big family. And one thing you must be conscious of was that you, you must see that Paul was conscious about this in prayer. He says, I bow my knees. But the person I'm bowing my knees praying to is a father of a big family. Meaning I have brothers and sisters. Are you getting this? He's a father. So first of all, when you pray, you must realize that you are talking to your daddy. Are you listening to me? The relationship you have with God is not just slave-master relationship. That is there. <laughs> I won't lie to you that it's not there. But it's also father-child relationship. But secondly... You must also realize when you come to pray that you are not his only child. <laughs> you belong to a family. And this must affect the way you think about things. It must affect the way you position yourself. You belong to a family. Being a part of a church is not just about walking into a building and sharing music with people. There is a family in God. There is a way to become a part of the family. Are you following me? There is a way to become a part of the family. 
There's a family in God. It must affect the way you consider things. I'm laying this foundation because I will begin to draw out some instructions from what I'm teaching you. For example, if you understand that you are not the only child, there are some responsibilities that must follow. But today I'm just sticking to this. There's a family in God. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9 begins to say, he says, we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. It says in verse 10, it says, for it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. The word there, captain, is the Greek word akigos. I've taught you this before in the Jesus series. Akigos. He says it was. it is fitting. Verse 9 says we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. When was he made a little lower than the angels? In his death. Are you with me? Made a little lower than the angels. The fact that he could die. He was made a little lower than the angels when he came. And he died. He was made a little lower than the angels in his suffering. He was made a little lower than the angels. The Bible says he was crowned with glory and honor. When you see glory and honor there, he was talking about the fact that after that he resurrected, he was crowned with glory and honor because of what he did. It says that he, by the grace of God, may taste death for everyone. In 10, it says, for it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make what? The captain. So, only God could have saved you. Do you understand? That's what this means. It was fitting for him to make the source of your salvation. It was fitting for him to bring many sons to glory. This was what Jesus did for you. That God, being in flesh, becomes the captain, the source of your salvation. So salvation is of God. God instituted it and is the source of it. And in so doing, the Bible says he brought sons to glory. Did you hear that? He brought what? Sons to glory. He brought sons to glory. He brought children to God. Verse 11, it says, For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them what? Brethren. Hey, are you guys reading this text with me? Because Jesus who sanctifies and you who are sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call you what? Brethren. This is powerful. The writer of Hebrews wants you to understand that both you and Jesus are of one. The KJV version has a semicolon which helps you understand that the next couple of statements explains the previous. Is it for which reason? He's not ashamed to call you brethren. He's not ashamed to call you brethren. He's not ashamed to call you brother because you and him are of one. So all believers and Jesus are of one family. Are you understanding what I'm teaching you? You are of one family. You are of one family. He's not ashamed to call you brother. 
The word brethren there is the Greek word adelphos. It means brother. And this is your bond with every believer in the world. And in the same sense, it is your bond in some sense with Christ also. Brother. In a family. You have siblings. Please, are you getting this? You have siblings. And that's why the book, what we read in Romans, can call us joint heirs with Christ. He was quoting Psalms 22 verse 22. The Bible says, I will declare on him to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praises to you and again I will put my trust in him. He quoted another text, Isaiah 8, 18. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord had given me are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts we dwell in Mount Zion. He says, Here I am and the children whom God has given me. The children there are believers. You've heard Jesus talk like that before in John. He says, The children which you've given me. So there's a family in God. Say there's a family in God. And I'm a part of that family. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Go to verse 14 of Hebrews. It says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So to release us from the bondage of fear and death, he came that he might destroy the power of death. He came like us to show us a prototype. So listen, in our family, we are not scared of death. Why? We never die. Our firstborn, even though he slept for a while, he woke up so we can see what will happen to us. That's our family mindset. Are you getting what I'm saying? This is a family idea I'm teaching you. This is how to consider yourself in Christ. This is how to... Your, your, your story has changed. It's no longer ordinary. You're a part of a family. You've received a new name. You've received a new identity. A lot of us are still living like we don't understand this. Listen, it comes with a lot of benefits. It comes with a lot of benefits. Are you following me? It comes with a lot of benefits. You have a new identity. The problem with a lot of us is that we don't yet understand what it means to be a part of a family. So all the benefits that comes with it, we are not yet enjoying it. We are not yet being a part of it. Do you understand what I'm saying? We've not learned. A lot of you learned all your life how to be independent. Listen to me. Listen to the word of God. This is one of those teachings I would have started with 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. I just said, let me not just do cliche teaching. Listen to what I'm telling you. Regardless of your experiences. The word of God teaches you something different. You're a part of a family. I know you're an independent woman, independent man. But the Bible says you're a part of a family. Act like it. Think that way when you pray. Think that way when you're going through stuff. In our family, we never die. Like I said before, our firstborn came, he conquered death. We, like him, also have conquered death. So even if we sleep now, we know we would rise again. Are you following me? Verse 16, the Bible says, For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. 
Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. So listen, he became like us. That's why he can call us brothers. This is the family of God. This is the family of God. Are you following me? Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, everybody. Verse 21. I'm a part. In my father's house, there is a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 21. The Bible says, And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. So they were, this was a picture of Mount Sinai. And yes, there was a gathering there. But verse 22 of this, of this book says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. It says, The heavenly Jerusalem to an innumerable company of angels. Verse 23, everybody in your room, open your Bibles and read verse 23 together. You don't need to unmute your mic. If you want to unmute, it's fine. But let's read verse 23 together. Everybody, one, two, go. It says, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirit of just men made perfect. Let me read that to you again. It says, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn. So there's an assembly of the church. It says, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Let me start from the beginning. It says, you've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem, innumerable company of angels, general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Who has KJV? Post KJV in the comment section. It says, to God the judge of all, to the spirit made perfect. What I want you to see very closely is this is, this is a description of where you are, what you've been called to. It says you've been called to the general assembly. So listen to me. There is a church. There is an assembly of the firstborn. It says to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge. So there is a church. There's a family of God. There's an association of God's people. And you are a part of that association. Jesus is the firstborn. And I'm a part of that church. I'm a part of that assembly. When you got saved... You were saved into a family. Hey, let it stick. When you got saved, you were saved into a family. You were born into a family. They did not leave you in foster care. You were, some of you used to act like you, they left you in foster care. You were born into a family. You were born into a family. You are not alone. This is a prophetic word for somebody. You are not alone. You are not alone. You might have felt like it all your life, but you are not alone. I repeat it. You are not alone. 
Somebody you're going through tough times with your family. They make you feel left out. But you have another family. You're not alone. You have another family. You have brothers and sisters. You are not alone. Don't fall into depression thinking you are alone. You are not alone. You just probably didn't know it, but now you know. You are not alone. The word of God is telling you now, you are not alone. You are not alone. You have a family. It's an eternal family. You have a family. You are not alone. You have a family named in heaven and on earth. You are not alone. Salvation is personal and yet not personal. Listen to me, you are saved into an assembly. <laughs> it says salvation is personal, work it personally. It is a lie. There is a personal side to salvation. But listen to me, you were born into a family as well. You've been called out into a fellowship, a fellowship of the church, the church of Christ, the church of Jesus. This is one of the earliest things you must learn as a believer. Maturity in God means you've learned this well. I'm not alone. I was born into a family. God has other children. I'm a child of God. I have brothers and sisters. I have brothers and sisters. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, Paul speaking, he says, Now concerning ministering to the saints, he says, It's superfluous for me to write for you. That is unnecessary. You should already understand your relationship with the saints, with brothers and sisters. It's childish. Because this is basic stuff you must learn, you must know that you are not alone. But the irony is that many of us do not know this. Many of us do not know this. Many of us do not know this. We've not learned to act like this. There's a lot I want to share, but listen. The first thing you must do is to renew your mind and learn this. I belong to a family. God is my father. I have other brothers and sisters. I must think about them when I do things. When I pray, I must think about them. In my walk with God, I must consider them as well. Christ was selfless as our firstborn. I must learn to be selfless as well. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? I must learn to be selfless as well. I must be willing to sacrifice for other people. I must consider other people. There are two sides to this. Number one, you'll be shortchanging yourself if you don't learn this. Because then there is a structure that God has set up for your sustenance and you're not benefiting from it. See, if you learn what I'm saying, 70% of the challenges you are facing today with your spiritual growth will disappear. I can boldly tell you. Even up to 80% of, of, what you are, of the challenges you are facing with your spiritual growth today, it will disappear. If you learn this number two, what I'm teaching today, the Catalyst community would experience a dynamic shift, an increase in growth, in the flow of the supernatural. It will be mind-blowing. It will be mind-blowing. I told you that the children of the devil understand what I'm saying. There's a way they treat each other when they, when they, when they get initiated. Are you with me? They can give their lives for each other. They treat themselves like family. 
You know what? I wanted to pause. Let me share a few more things. I'll share a few more things. Listen. Let me share a few more things. One of the easiest ways to a mother's heart is to love her child. Do you know that? One of the easiest ways to a mother's heart is to love her child. The one thing they teach us here where I am as a crew member in a restaurant about customer satisfaction is that when people come into the store with kids, find ways to make their children comfortable. When you play with them like that and make their children comfortable, you attain customer satisfaction. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's because when you warm up to a woman's child or anybody's child, you gain a way into their hearts. Can I tell you something about God? Your relationship with the father mandates a relationship with every other of his child. <laughs> Did you hear that? Your relationship with the father mandates a relationship with every other of his child. Your father has many children. Stop acting like an only child. He has many children. You are in an assembly. This is personal for God. I'll share one more text. Matthew chapter 25 verse 40. We have a lot of time to discuss this. So just make sure you don't miss any series in this, any teaching in this series. Matthew 25 verse 40. The Bible says, And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly I say to you, Inasmuch as you did it to the least of this, my brethren, you did it to me. That's the way God thinks about it. Whatever you did to the least of my brethren, you did to me. As you grow spiritually, don't just grow in knowledge. Let your heart grow wider. Hey, did you hear that? As you grow spiritually, don't just grow in knowledge. Let your heart grow wider. Let it grow wider. Let it grow wider. First John 2, 9, the Bible says, He that says is in light and hated, hated his brother is in darkness up until now. Let your heart grow wider. Oh yes, people will take you for granted. But you must still be willing to be vulnerable when it comes to the family of God. Listen, you can't live effectively as a believer without learning this. You can't have a beef with a brother. You can't hate another believer. It's not biblical. You must be willing to forfeit things. Let go of your ego. Give up personal comfort for the sake of other people. Whenever you come to God, whenever you are going through a problem, whenever you are going through an issue, you must also remember that you are not going through it alone. You are not going through it alone. You are not going through it alone. You have people ready to carry the weight with you. We must throw away all these false, funny ideas. Stop saying the kind of person I am. You are not that old man. You are a new man. Your reality is defined by the word of God. The kind of person I am, I don't know how to share my problems. Stop that. Stop that. I don't know how to rely on people. You know, I was trained in an independent way. Okay, fine. But now you are in Christ. In Christ is a community way. So change. Change. Let me tell you something. You might not think you need it. But pray that you don't get into the situation where it will be needed. Do you hear what I just said? You might be feeling strong now. Ask people who have fallen into that place before. 
You know the thing that can help you get out of it, but because of pride, you cannot ask for help. Ah, it's a bad place to be. And once you are isolated, the devil will trap you. Are you listening to me? The devil does not go to anybody that is fortified by family and words of God coming here. He goes to those he can isolate. Pumping thoughts into your mind. You are not worthy. You know, you are not... All those thoughts is a, is a result of your isolation. Try me and put to, put to practice all the things that you are learning here. And see if your life will not change. I've been discipling people here for over three years now. I have seen the results of what I'm telling you. I've seen it. There are some people on this community that nobody needs to call. Just call, just call them. They are ready. Have that mindset yourself. Don't isolate yourself. But apart from not isolating yourself also, reach out to others. Have a community mindset. Have a family idea. Have a family idea. Like I said, it's two sides to the coin. Don't be comfortable if a brother is not fine. Don't be what? Comfortable. If your brother is not fine, you must descend the bond you have with believers. Are you with me? So, when you travel a thousand miles, you travel to another country, once you find somebody that says, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, he becomes your brother instantly. Your bond with him is strongest. Do you understand what I'm saying? I met a few people when I traveled here. I got here and they're like, how do you trust us with such private news? I said, because first, you are a believer. <laughs> it's easy for me to trust you because you are a believer. Your strongest relationship should be found in the church. Are you listening to me? In Christ, it's easy to make association. You know, my pastor used an example many years back when he did a similar teaching. When you go for NYC, NYC is a dangerous place. I repeat, it's a dangerous place. <laughs> when you go for NYC, you know, which some of you will be going to, this is for those in Nigeria. One thing you, might, you must prepare for is that there might not be space and time to pray. Are you with me? So you must find a way to create space and time to pray for yourself. Do you understand? I can't remember. I think it was, it was Pastor that said this story. He went to a bush to pray all morning. As he started praying, Rataka, he heard one voice in the bush, Rebete. He said, hey, my brother, my brother, my brother. That's your brother. In Christ, we have union. In Christ, we have what? We have union. We have union. We have union. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. This is the last one. Are you there? Are you in Matthew chapter 12? You know what? Go to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 29. I'll, ra- I'll round up on this. I'll wrap up that. Just be praying in, under, under your breath wherever you are in the language of the Spirit. Mark chapter 10, verse, verse 29. Kuravina tele de pokuti stuve praktazive dalana makubrediai. The Bible says, So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly I say unto you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children 
or lands for my sake and the gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time? Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. So listen, this is an idea that Jesus is putting in our minds. He's saying, you know, we know that people get locked out of their houses for chasing God. Are you with me? They get locked out of their houses for chasing God. He says there is no one who will lose house, who will lose a brother, who will lose a sister. They are angry with you because you are praying too much. Your dad says he's not going to pay your school fees again because of this God thing. What Jesus is telling us here is that if your father locks you out because of Jesus, there are a hundred fathers that are ready to father you in the faith. If your brother stops talking to you because of the faith, there are a hundred brothers who are able, who are ready to take you in, a hundred sisters. If you lose house, a hundred of us are ready to open our houses for you to come and stay. Are you with me? If they say they are not going to pay your school fees, a hundred of us are ready to volunteer. I will pay it. You need data. Some of you are already doing it. A hundred of us are ready to volunteer and say, let me buy the data. Let me buy the data. It's, it's somewhat a competitive mindset. I must be the one to favor you. <laughs> this is what Jesus is teaching. Oh, we can get here on the Catholic community. It's a blessing to favor you. I must be the one to favor you. Give me your account number. <laughs> I must, I must want to call everybody. Are you doing well? What I'm telling you is not the mindset. You're now waiting. They did not check up on you. You don't get it if you're doing the not check up on me. You check up on somebody. That's how to get this. You don't mind. You are selfless. You don't mind that nobody's checking up on you. But you're doing your best for another person. Someone lost some, something. It is paining us deep. Some of you, we don't even know if you love it. But I'm just saying... You lost a, 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 a closed one. It will touch our heart as your family. You will see it genuinely that we are pained. I know the community we belong to, but we've had over the last six months, over the last one year, we've had a lot of new members. I know that I've trained the Catalyst community to be very, very good at this. I remember someone, someone that got kidnapped. We all came together and we prayed and we saw results. But listen, more than that, I have to see that today. It's what the word is teaching us. It's what the word is teaching us. You don't see one person. A lot of us are like, wait, something is wrong. You are, you are jumping up and down. In the last resource you have, you hear that a brother is hungry. You are sending funds to sponsor. You hear that they chase somebody out. You are like, I will not sleep unless you sleep in a good place. So even though I'm in the comfort of my house, I will not find that comfort unless I'm sure that you are okay. How will they kick you out and I will sleep fine? It's not possible. You are my brother. This is how to do church. <laughs> are you listening to me? This is church. Begin to pray in the language of the Spirit, everybody. Pray about everything that you've heard. That as I've learned, it becomes a part of my life. Mato bruti sibrotiki to brate lo zebeti. Regede borudi gidili parade gede gede gede